I love my church. I love my church. I love my church. Through the course of being with these people week after week and sharing yourself with them and opening up, um, you draw closer, you know, to one another, but it also drives you closer to the Lord. And my relationship um, with God has changed significantly. Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, open up to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, we are continuing our series this morning, I Love My Church. And uh, if you did not have a chance to uh, really pay a lot of attention to the cover of the bulletin, um, I do want to take just a few moments and bring your attention to that again. Um, take a look at that. And uh, during the series, uh, last week I mentioned that there was a post on Facebook um, basically asking if you have any pictures, your favorite pictures of church events or church things that were going on, uh, to kind of submit those on there, put those on there. And, uh, and so over the coming series, uh, you're going to see some of those pictures on the cover of the bulletin. So if you look, you're going to notice these are a lot of pictures of different events we've done, different times we've had things going on at the church. Um, a lot of cool pictures on here. Unity Fest is on there. There's some of the ladies' retreats on there. Um, some of the musical from last year. Uh, Angel Alert is on there. And so uh, really, really cool to see kind of just the snapshot collage of just some of the things that have gone on the last couple of years. And uh, so excited for the Lord has for us moving forward. Amen. And so really, really cool. Uh, I appreciate Kelsey doing that for us, putting that together. And uh, really cool idea. And so um, if you love your church, say amen this morning. And uh, I'm so excited for the worship, so excited for what the Lord has for us over the next coming four weeks, including today. And we started this series last week, and we began talking about what does it look like to love our church to this morning. We're going to continue through that idea. Uh, last week, we discovered that Christ told his disciples that the evidence that he was sent into the world, that he came into this world, the evidence that the world would see of that truth is that his followers, the disciples, loved one another. And we know that as a church, we are a gathering together of those disciples. We are individually followers of Christ. We are keeping our eyes on Christ. We're fixated on him. We're focused on him. Uh, Hebrews says to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Isn't that a great verse? Not only did he author our faith, but guess what? Faith, but guess what? He finishes our faith. You know what that tells me? Man, I don't have to worry about losing it. That he holds on to that faith. That he will keep us eternally secure in Christ. And he says that as those followers of Christ individually are walking with Christ and fixated on Christ and in the, the Word of God daily and in prayer daily, that then we come together as believers, we gather together in the church, which is really just the collection of those individuals, and as we love one another, that's going to overflow into an evidence of the world saying, man, Christ must have really come, as they said he did, look at the fruit, look at the truth of how that's being evidenced. Uh, Wednesday nights, we've been going through, this last Wednesday night, we started kind of the small group study of I Love My Church. And so this coming Wednesday night, we're going to dive deeper into this topic from this morning, have a little bit more on that. And so this Wednesday night, we're going to do that. We're going to kind of do that all the way through the series. 
But we talked a lot about this on Wednesday night, and one of the things that stood out to me was even in the early church, uh, we referenced one of the early church fathers, and he actually quoted some pagans of his day. We're talking around 200, 210 uh, A.D., and he said as a quote, when he was looking at the, the testimony of the church among the pagans, those that did not receive Christ, he's, the pagans were quoted as saying, look at how they love one another. I mentioned it before, whenever there was disease and famine throughout the Roman Empire, it wasn't the, the pagans that were rushing in to help. It wasn't the government that was coming in to help. It was the church that was stepping up and saying, we'll go to those places where nobody else will go. We'll minister those sick. We'll, we'll love them and we'll care for them. I mentioned it before, at the cost of many of their lives, to be honest. In the early church, it was nothing to see Christians rushing into a community that was rampant with disease. Everyone is fleeing and it's being quarantined off and, and these people are being isolated. And history tells us the church, the Christians, would rush in to minister to them, in so doing, catch those very diseases and die because of their love for these people. These people that weren't Christians, by the way. They just went to love whoever was there. And they ministered to them. And when doctors and, and all these officials are leaving the towns, oh, there's no hope, there's no hope. The Christians, the church, rushed in. Now, I know church history isn't perfect, right? There's some glaring blemishes on our track record as church is concerned. And we can't just say, oh, well, that wasn't, that wasn't, the church is not perfect, so church history should not be perfect. There's a lot of things that have been done since the founding of Christ's church in Christ's name that do not glorify Christ. There are things that happen in our nation, preachers that preach things from the pulpit of God that blemish church history, comments of racism and hatred towards people of different, different races, and it was preached as though this is truth from God's word. Blemishes on the church history's record, if you will. So I'm not saying that everything the church has ever done is good. What I am saying is that there has been tons of evidence. I would argue much more evidence that the church loved one another throughout church history than the things we see that just happened here or there through church history. And so what's my point? Why am I saying all that? I believe that's why the church has power in the world today. And you might say, well, the church doesn't have a lot of power like it used to. It may seem like that. But man, you want to know how to, how to be a catalyst of change in your culture, in your city, in your area, in your community? Just begin loving one another. Just love one another. Isn't it amazing that the church claims to have the message of hope, the message of truth, that Jesus Christ brings peace and love and joy and all the fruit of the Spirit. This is the message we preach, isn't it? That if you receive Christ, your life isn't perfect. There's still times of struggle and pain and trial. But the beauty is that Christ is with you and he gives you joy and peace, even in the midst of chaos and tragedy. That there's this unity with Christ that you can have, this oneness with Christ, that he will be your strength, and then those people, after hearing this message, come into a local church. And sometimes, that's not exactly what they see. Let's be real for a minute here. Sometimes you walk into a local church and you don't see peace, love, joy, happiness. Right? You almost see the polar opposites of those things, don't you? You walk into a church and you're like, you ever walk into a church and it's just, you can't explain it, but it's just cold? I, 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 it's, it's amazing. I don't know how else to describe it other than cold. And I'm not picking at other churches because we're all, as I've just said, we're all imperfect churches, right? 
When I was in college, we had to join a local church. BC did not have a campus church. We had a, a chapel service that met twice a week. But we had to actually, on Sundays and Wednesdays and Sunday nights, we had to join a local church. They, de- they were very big into that. We're not going to be a church. We're a college. We're here to train you. You need to go serve in the local churches in this community. Go be a part of the local church. And I always love that about BBC. I'm not knocking colleges that have, you know, campus churches on campus stuff. But I love when a campus says, we're not taking the place of the local church. We're trying to train you to go serve the local church. And so one of the things, though, is you have to choose a local church to join. And you have one month to choose. So get this. I'm moving from Michigan to Missouri. I know nobody. No, no churches. There's about 35 churches in and around the Springfield area of, of Missouri, in Springfield, Nixa, different areas. You can pick any one of the 35 because they're all kind of affiliated with the college, meaning they have like faith and practice. And you get a list. Here's all the choices you can choose from. You have four Sundays to try to pick one church of 35. Yeah, this is why come, you can, and you can only change churches in between semesters. So once you join a church, you have to stay there at least for a semester. The idea was to stay there the whole time in college, but that's not always real because you have one month to choose from 35. You join a church, you're like, well, this isn't really what I wanted. Could you imagine picking a church after one Sunday? Maybe two? That'd be crazy. But you know what was interesting is I got a chance to visit, as I was in school, a lot of churches. I mean, I went to a lot of different kinds of churches, big churches, little churches. They all taught the same thing. They all believed the same thing. But music was different church to church. Dress was different church to church. Philosophy of ministry was different church to church. But I loved it because I got to experience something. I got to see, wow, then maybe it's not just this little tunnel vision of church that I have. Maybe there's more to this. Maybe you can still believe the very same truth of Scripture, but do church a little bit differently. And guess what? That's okay. There's not one way to do this thing. As long as you're building it on this book, by this truth of this word, that's why you can go overseas. And I've said this before, experience church in different countries. And you can see totally different styles of worship, totally different styles of dress. And yet they're still preaching the same gospel, still the same spirit. Now, in a, in a, and I'm going to tell you guys a little bit of a precursor to a sermon series. I don't even know what I'm doing yet, so let's just put that out there. At some point in the near future, probably maybe not before the end of this year, but maybe in the beginning of next year at some point, we're going to do a walkthrough, a series entitled Strange Fire. And we're going to talk about there are some things, I believe, that are being propagated in the local churches that I don't believe are in this book, and I don't think it's preference or methodology. I think it's deeper than that. We're going to dive into that. So that's just, you're like, that, that was mean because I don't even know when you're doing it. Well, tell me more. You've got to wait till at least February, maybe even March. I don't know yet. We'll see. We have this year planned out. We'll see what happens next year. But as you experience different churches, you know what was cool is I could walk in and experience church that was just so alive. The church that I spent most time at was called Cherry Street Baptist Church. It started, when I started going, there was about 1,300 people, roughly. College class was like 150 to 200 kids. And these are college kids from Southwest Missouri State, different Christian schools, different tech schools, community colleges. And it was just alive. You walked in and you just felt the presence of Christ. It was amazing. But I walked into other churches in my experiences, and man, it was just cold. It was just kind of just there. And I'm not saying it's got to be all this emotion. That's not what I'm talking about. Don't mistake over-emotionalism for life of church. I'm saying there was just no spirit of joy. There was just nothing there. 
And I, I mean, it was just, it was so weird to experience that. But I'm so thankful that I believe when we gather together as the body of Christ, there's a spirit of joy here. And again, I might be a little biased. I might be a little bit one-sided on this issue. But I hope that when you join with us in worship, that you sense, man, this is a place where I want to go deeper with God. I want to grow with God's people. And that's the point of coming together is to encourage one another. Not to walk in and just put on a show. Not to just come in and act like everything's fine when really everything's falling apart. We should understand this is where we need to love one another. And that's why I think when you walk into some churches, you sense that joy, that love, because that's the mindset of the church. There's just this love there. Other churches you walk into, they have what I talked about last week, that Corinthian effect. That it's all about me, you know. You got you to worship me. You got to honor me. Everything's about me. Built on me. I've told you guys, if I left tomorrow, my prayer is this church would just keep right on striving, not miss a beat. That's my prayer for this church. Now, am I leaving tomorrow? No, don't plan on it. I'd love to retire from this church in ministry. I'd love to be the pastor that says, hey, I was there for 30 years or whatever, by God's grace. But can you understand? It's not about me. If you come here to hear me, you are going to sorely be mistaken. Because I am not the perfect person you need to put on a pedestal. If you come here to hear our band, which, man, Maria was right. If we sounded good, they sounded great. You know what I'm saying? It was awesome worship this morning. Chris comes up and sings that beautiful song. Oh, man, love that song. But you know what? It's not about Chris. It's not about the band. It's about just putting Christ on display and loving one another and watching him work in that. And that's when people come in and go, man, I just there's something about that church. But I said it last week. Are we better than other churches in Lipscomb County? Absolutely not. We don't, we don't put that whole, well, this church has a better band and this church has better preaching and this church. Again, Corinthian effect. Some were of Apollos. Some were of Cephas. Some were of Paul. Well, I don't like Paul's teaching. He stutters a lot. I like Apollos. He preaches better. Man, it's not about that stuff. That sounds a lot like those tickling ears, Right? I want to hear what I want to hear. So if you don't do what I want to do, I'm out. You might say, well, you wouldn't really tell someone to leave if they weren't getting what they wanted. What I would tell people is this. If you feel like you can't connect into North Carolina Baptist Church, grow in Christ and serve the way God is calling you to serve, then you better find a church that you can do those things in. And if this isn't it, there's 74 other evangelical churches in Lapeer County. I'm sure you'll find one. I'm not here to cater to anybody. I had somebody tell me one time, I, want, I think about, we're thinking about leaving the church unless you can tell me a reason to stay. I looked at this guy, and I, with all the love I can muster, I'm not being funny here. This is truth. I said, man, that's not my job. Where is that my job? To talk you into staying here so we can keep you. Man, you need to do what God is leading you to do. If you feel like God is wanting you to move on, move on. I would be going against what God is leading you to do if I told you to stay. If you feel like God was wanting you to leave, man, I'm not going to speak against the Holy Spirit's moving in your life. I'm not signing up for that. But man, when we love one another, it's not about being better than another church. We're, if they're preaching Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection, and that's the only way to salvation, we're all on the same team, guys. I could disagree with things that they teach, other things that they believe. That's fine. I can disagree with that. You can disagree with that. But we're not on different teams if they're preaching Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection. So it's not about I love my church because we're better than other churches. I love my church because this is the local body of Christ that Christ has called me to. 
to serve and to grow. And we're going to love one another. And so we covered a lot of that last week. But this morning I want to discover that we love our church truly in community. We love our church in community. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. The passage that many a preacher has used to guilt people into coming to church. Amen? You might say, should I laugh at that? Absolutely you should, because that's exactly what it's used for most times. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. We're going to read down to uh, verse 25. Look what it says here. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us though the veil, through the veil, this is to say his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our hope without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Can we stop there for a moment? Isn't that a great truth? Let's read that verse 20, 23 again. Look at it again. Let us hold fast the profession of our hope without wavering. Why am I so sure of this thing, salvation? Why am I so confident that I know, that I know, that I know that I'm saved? Not by me. Not by the good I do or how good I am or all these other things. He says, no, 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 no. Because for he is faithful that promise, that promise what? That those who put their faith in Christ will be saved. That Jesus said in John chapter 3, that if you will believe, you can be born again. And he says, those that enter my kingdom, the kingdom of God, must be born again. He was faithful in his promise. Look at verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking. This is the guilt part that many pastors will pull out not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we pray you'd bless this word. And we thank you for being the faithful one, for being the one that when I do waver, when I do get distracted, when I start listening to those lies of the enemy or the lies of my flesh or the voices of culture, I'm listening more to the media and this doom and gloom stuff than I am listening to you. Lord, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know the world isn't going in a great direction, that our culture is making some bad choices. But I pray in spite of that, that I wouldn't waver in my faith. If anything, it would draw me closer to you, to know that you are true and faithful and that you promise that whoever puts their faith and trust in Christ will be freed from all sin, forgiven of all sin, to walk with you, to surrender our life to you in great submission and to see you exalted and glorified in our lives. And so, Father, I pray you'd help us to understand the truth of this scripture, that we would draw together to exhort one another, to lift each other up, to love one another, and that that would be the evidence that this world will see that you came to this world to give your life as a sacrifice. Father, help us to be real about this, to think through practically what this looks like, and to apply these truths to our lives, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. The reality of the church is that God designed us to live connected 
lives. Connect to him through Christ first and foremost, but also connected to one another. As we addressed last week, that there are times and reasons that we struggle to love the church. Maybe because of people, hurts, situations, things that happened that you struggle loving his church. Maybe you're of the mindset you say, I love Jesus. I have no problem loving Jesus Christ. But man, to love the church, that's a little more complicated. That's a little more difficult. Because see, because Jesus never hurt me like the church did. But as we said last week, don't allow a handful of people that acted in unchristlike ways to keep you from benefiting from the joys of connecting to the local church because I promise you, take the risk. It's worth it every time. The joy and the support and the encouragement of connecting with the church. Yes, anytime you choose to love someone, you're taking a risk, right? The minute you choose to love someone, you're taking a huge risk. And the risk is this person could hurt me because I'm surrendering my heart to them. But those of us that have found that kind of a love we understand that the risk is far outweighed by the benefit or the reward of being in that kind of a love relationship. And so my encouragement to you is you cannot miss the blessing of being connected to the church because of people that have acted in an unchristlike way. It is truly a blessing of, the fa- that, of, of God that we are a part of the family of God. You have been adopted into the body of Christ, and that is a great blessing, and we should praise him for that fact. Because you didn't get in because you were good enough. He adopted you freely of his own choosing and extended his grace to you. You received that grace, and he ushered you into his family, and you are now a son and a daughter of God. Isn't that amazing? And you are a son or daughter of God. Now, we don't take that to mean, oh, then God will do whatever I tell him to do. Because that's not a good and loving Heavenly Father either, is it? If Josiah came to me today and said, Dad, I think for lunch I want a bowl of ice cream. And since you're a good and loving Heavenly Father, I believe you'll give me whatever I ask for. I would be like, I love you, but you're not getting ice cream. Right? Because part of being a good and loving Heavenly Father is using what? fatherly wisdom to see the bigger picture. And aren't you glad? I know I say this sometimes, uh, but it's just always reminding me this. Aren't you glad that when you cried out in that momentary desire and you weren't really thinking of the big picture that God said, no, that's not good for you right now. And now you look back and you're like, oh, God, thank you for saying no to that. What was I even thinking praying for that? But I'm so thankful that it's not that we tell him what to do. We just realize he is always there for us when we need him. And so what does this look like to be connected to Christ and connected to the church? I want to unpack this idea that we are able to be connected to God through Christ. First, we have to notice one key truth. This is so vital. That if Christ connects us to God, that before Christ we were separated from God naturally. This is huge. We have to get this. We are separated from God naturally. Here's the truth. God is holy and we are not. Naturally speaking, God is holy and we are not. When we read the word of God, that truth becomes abundantly clear. We naturally desire to do wicked and sinful acts. We despise God and his law. What does the Bible say when Jesus came and gave us light? Men rejected the light. Why? Because it reveals our darkness. 
if you're in darkness and you're just wandering through the darkness and no one has made you aware of it, you're pretty content to be ignorant, aren't we? We're pretty good to just be dumb sheep that just kind of, I'm going to go do my thing and I don't want anyone to tell me I'm doing wrong. But then the word of God begins to open our hearts and minds and realize, oh man, God is holy and I am not holy. I mean, do we really believe that God is as holy as the Bible says he is? That he is so holy that until Christ came, you could not even look upon him because you would be consumed with his majesty. Man, Isaiah, before the throne of God, falls on his face and says, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in a land of unclean people. And he was not standing going, okay, God, gimme, 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 gimme. And he fell on his face realizing, I am separate from you. I am not like you. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways, naturally speaking. And if we don't get that, then the rest of it doesn't make a lot of sense. If we think we're just really kind of not okay, but we're all right, we're missing the whole point. Listen to how Isaiah says it. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 says this, but your iniquities, that's just a really fancy word for sin. Your sin But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Man, that is a terrifying thought. That naturally speaking, he says, your sin has separated you and your God. It has hidden his face from you and he will not hear you. I think of it this way. You know the first prayer Christ hears a sinner pray is when they cry out in repentance. And he might say, oh, come on, God hears everything. I mean, hears and listens. He hears all things. He knows all things. But God is not up there going, I'm going to answer this sinner's prayer. I'm going to answer. No, 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 no. Isaiah says he doesn't even hear those things. You see, in this division, that division naturally should greatly concern us. But I don't know that it really does. I don't know that it really concerns us. The fact that our sin has put a wall between us and God is truly a terrifying thought. Because here's the reality. If you are not in Christ by grace and naturally you are in your sin, the Bible says you are under his wrath. And I don't know what images come to mind when you think of the word wrath. Uh, There's this mindset that somehow our sin isn't that big of a deal sometimes in church. That I, you know, I never did anything that bad. But I truly believe if we don't understand the wrath of God, we can never fully appreciate the grace of God. And I've had people say, well, come on now. Don't go beating people up now. Man, God seemed to do a little bit of that in his word, didn't he? He says, man, your sin disgusts me. He says in the Old Testament, it makes me want to change my mind about even creating you. Just think about that. He takes sin so seriously, he wiped out all of humanity, save Noah and his family because of sin. Well, I just, you know, brother, I just don't believe God would send anyone to hell. He's too loving. He killed off the entire population that would not repent and go with Noah. Isn't it always interesting you go in a baby's nursery and you see Noah's ark on the wall? Little animals sticking their head out of the boat. Right, smiling, rainbows and sunshine all around. Where's the thousands of bodies floating in the water? Like, where is that depicted? (laughs) Seriously. 
And here's why I want us to think about that. Because we read stories like that and we're like, oh, well, that was just Old Testament. We need to understand something about our God. That he takes sin so seriously. The only reason his wrath isn't on you is because he poured his wrath on Christ. You want to know the weight of wrath? You want to know what wrath looks like? Read John chapter 19. Read about the crucifixion of Christ. Read about the weight of sin being dumped on the Holy Son of God and him crying out in agony and pain. Well, yeah, but preacher, I'm not that bad of a person. You know, the Bible says, this might shock some of you because it goes against the Christian cliche we've said for a long, long time. You know, the Bible says in the Old Testament that God abhors the sinner we've said this a long time in church, haven't we? That God hates the sin but loves the sinner. That is true to a point. Because the Bible seems to suggest in Psalms, many a psalm actually says to us very clearly, God despises the sinner. God abhors the sinner. God's anger is riled against the sinner and the wicked and the transgressor. Well, yeah, but that's Old Testament, same God. You know what that tells me? Is that he is sitting there going, I love you because I created you, but I kind of hate you because of your sin. You might say, that doesn't make any sense. Do you know how to understand that picture? God loves the sinner, but also God is kind of stomach-turned at the sinner. Not just his sin. Because remember, our sin is not this thing out here, Right? Your sin is not just this obligatory, objective thing we just kind of around us. Your sin is in you. You sin. And so how do we understand that combination of God's great love, but God's also kind of his anger towards the sinner? We see it come together in the cross, don't we? He loved his son, but he also punished his son with the wrath that was poured on him. And I don't think, until we fully grasp that, then grace is nothing more than a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's just something I can, oh, grace, it's no big deal. And when you understand the weight of the judgment that was upon you before Christ, and scary thought, the weight of the judgment that is upon anyone in this room right now that does not know Christ. And the Bible is so clear that if you died in your sins today, if you died in your sins today without Christ, that this separation that Isaiah speaks about will continue through all of eternity. And why why are you camping on here? We're talking about loving my church. I want us to understand that that division is real. And it took Christ coming and dying on a cross to bridge that division. The fact that our sin has put a wall between us and God is a terrifying thought. Beyond the grace of God is the wrath of God. I don't mean God's grace can't save us. I'm saying if you're not in grace and in Christ, then you're under wrath. But let's be honest. This is not a popular or even believable thought in our world today or to be scary or scary thought in our churches. I was just listening to a pastor of a church. Nobody in this room knows them because it was so obscure. This is not a popular teacher, not on TV uh, it was a random chain of events that got me to listen to this guy. He's pastor of a very, very small church, not known by anyone in this room. I can almost guarantee it. 
But I was listening to this pastor of a church preach that the idea that Jesus would only save a few is ridiculous and does not align with the whole of Scripture, clearly because it doesn't go with his understanding of grace, is what he said. He said, the fact that Jesus would only save a few is ridiculous and illogical because it doesn't go with the weight of Scripture or my understanding of grace. The scary thought about that is is this. You might say, well, yeah, I kind of think that. Luke, Jesus said in Luke that the disciples asked. We went over this. It's crazy. Last Sunday night we went through this. This week I came across this clip and it blew me away. Jesus says in Luke, when the disciples said, Lord, who will be saved? A few or many? Jesus said, a few will find the way. A few will enter in the straight gate. There'll be many that try, but a few will find the narrow way. But there'll be a lot that find the road to destruction. So Jesus says a few will be saved in the scope of all of humanity. Now what a few looks like, I don't think it's like five or ten. I believe it's a number that we can't understand, but in the scope of all of creation, it will really be a few. But because this guy says, I don't get that. I don't get what Jesus, he must have meant something else. And what's funny is he kept saying, I don't believe this is what Jesus meant. He would pose a question and then move on. He never actually addressed, well, then what did Jesus mean then? I'm the kind of person, when I read the Bible, I go, man, this is what Jesus said. This seems to be what Jesus says it means. That must be what Jesus meant. Whether I understand it or not is irrelevant. I could care less if I get it. There's a lot of things in this book I don't like. There's things I'll do and then I'll read a verse and go, well, I'd rather do it the other way. Whatever it is. So why all of a sudden do I become the standard or I'm the judge now and if it doesn't fit in my understanding, I just reject it. Well, Jesus, you must have meant something else because I don't believe that's what you said and what you meant. I truly believe one of the greatest deceptions the enemy tries to pass off as truth is that we are okay as we are. I believe one of the greatest deceptions the enemy, meaning Satan, tries to pass off as truth is that we are okay just as we are. God will just accept us as we naturally are without repentance. Another Christian cliche that is true to a point, come as you are. Now, is it true we can come to Christ as we are? Absolutely. But we don't stay as we are when we receive Christ. See, come as you are doesn't mean come with all your sin. Tell God he better be okay with it because that's just who you are and you leave the same way you came. That's not in Scripture. We come as we are with brokenness and woundedness and say, I need healing. And then we receive grace because we repent of our sin. And God saves us miraculously by his grace. And I don't understand it, but man, I'm so thankful for it. And he saves us and redeems us and restores us. And he lifts us up and he says, now I'm going to connect you with my body, my church. And I'm going to use you to my glory. And we come as we are, but we are not okay as we are. We don't come and say, God, this is me. You better accept it. And make God come down to our standards and our understanding. No, 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 no. No, we come and we say, God, this is who I am, and I don't have anything to offer you. I have no works of righteousness to speak of. I need your grace. I repent of my sin. I turn from it, and I confess to you as Savior. And then he changes us and makes us new.
And see, it's okay to come as you are, but we don't stay as we are. The division between us and God is real. When we humble ourselves and repent, trusting in Christ, Christ opens the door of relationship with the Father. Isn't that amazing? Christ opens the door of relationship with the Father. Go over to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. I want to look at this scripture about him tearing down the division. It's referenced in Hebrews, but I want to go a little deeper here. See, Christ opens the door of relationship with the Father. He's connecting us to the Father in community. In Mark 15, verse 37, we read here that he tore down the division between us and God. Mark 15 and verse 37 says this. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. This is Jesus on the cross. It says, verse 38, And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Verse 39, listen to what it says. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Not part of the message, but could you imagine being that Roman centurion who just maybe a few minutes or a few hours before was mocking Jesus, making fun of him? No less, even if he wasn't doing it himself, he was joining in with it by just being there and not stopping it. And Jesus dies, and a reality hits you as you look up at the dead Son of God, and you realize, man, this this guy really was the Son of God. And I always love that story because I always wonder what happened with this centurion. I mean, did he put faith and trust in Christ even though he was laying dead before him on the cross? But I want to focus mostly on verse 38. It says, And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The veil that is ripped in half from top to bottom was the division between the people of God and the holy of holies in the temple. There are some speculations on the exact measurements of the veil. Uh, They say it's roughly 70 to 80 feet high, 20 to 30 feet wide. The thickness varies. Some people say it was thin. Some people say it was very thick. Some say it was made of thin material, so it wasn't super heavy. Some say it was thick like a tapestry, a very thick material. Either way, we're talking about a massive curtain. 70 to 80 feet high. And isn't that crazy to think about? To give you a little bit of a perspective, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this room is 70 feet across. So imagine a curtain that laid from end to end and then stood it up. That's the height of this curtain. Talk about a division between us and God. Now, why the Holy of Holies? Because that's where God's presence resided. That's where the priest would go in on the Day of Atonement and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And he could only do it under certain conditions, in certain ways, in certain specifications. It was very particular. And he would go in, I can only imagine, with fear and trembling. Not because he was scared he was going to get, you know, do something wrong. But because he was like, man, I'm going into the very presence of God. God's in there. Could you imagine that? You're going to go have a face-to-face with God's actual presence. And he would go in there and have this moment 
And then he couldn't go in again until it was an appointed time to go in again. And God's presence was distant from them. It was divided from them. But when Jesus died on the cross, you know what he symbolized by tearing the veil in two? He said, man, you now have access. You now have access to the very presence of God. When Christ gave up his life on the cross, he became the perfect and prophecy-fulfilling sacrifice on the cross for the sins of those that will place their faith and trust in Christ. He became the sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God. Didn't we sing that this morning? And he is the Lion and the Lamb. When he gave himself as that perfect sacrifice, sin was now made available to be forgiven, and access was granted One author said this, and I found it so powerful. Christ tore the curtain after his flesh was torn open. Christ tore the curtain after his flesh was torn open. I'm not going to get too graphic. I just want to read a verse of Scripture here. I want us to think about what Christ went through on the cross. Again, thinking about what Christ went through to give us this restored connection to the Father. Isaiah 52, 14, listen to what he says, and he prophesies about Jesus' appearance before his death. Many were astonished at you, Isaiah says. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Do you know what Isaiah says? Isaiah says, man, they are going to beat you so severely. They're going to persecute you so severely. They're going to tear your skin so severely that at the end of the day, people will look at you and not even recognize you as a human being. Like your very appearance, you won't look like a man anymore. They're going to mar you so severely that you won't even resemble the person you were. And you might ask me, why would the perfect son of God do all of that for me? He removed the division so that he could reconcile us to God. So that we can have access. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He went through all of that to remove the vision, to connect you to the Father. And how did he do that? By reconciling you to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Must not have heard me on that one. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. There we go. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead that you be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Who is the central theme in all of that? It is Christ. You are not reconciled to God because of your good behavior, your church attendance, or your tithe offering. You are reconciled to the holy God. That division was bridged not by you, but by Christ. And why? So that God could be glorified that his grace would be promoted, that the church would be established and people would come to know Christ and enjoy the benefits of being one with him. 
The, rec- the word reconciled here in this passage means to change or exchange, to return to favor with. And isn't that powerful? To exchange or change, to return to favor with. He says you are made a new creature. You have been changed. How have you been changed? By the power of Christ's sacrifice. When Christ became sin for us, he exchanged our sinful punishment that was, we deserved for his righteousness, which we received. Christ created and guaranteed a new covenant or the New Testament with his sacrifice. And with that new covenant came a new type of community. Hebrews 12. We don't have time to read it, but Hebrews 12, verses 18 to 24. Hebrews 12, 18 to 24. When Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again, he started what we call the new covenant or the New Testament. And this begins a whole new way of connecting to God through grace, not through law, but through grace in Christ. But also it brings a new idea of community to the followers of Christ. One author said it this way, in the new, co- the new covenant community, devotion to Christ is the highest priority for believers. Instead of giving themselves to kingdoms that could be shaken, they would do well to keep in mind that they belonged to God's kingdom. That is why our mission statement, again, as a church, is so simple and direct that we are a kingdom-focused church that loves God, loves others, and loves to serve. We are not about our kingdom. We are about his kingdom because we are part of that kingdom. We are residents through Christ of that kingdom community, and we're wanting that to spread. We're wanting that to be promoted by loving God, loving others, and loving to serve. So here's the practical application, I guess, not only in your own personal life to know Christ personally so you can be connected to the Father, you can find forgiveness of sins, and that connection, by the way, will go through all of eternity. Amen? That when you leave this world, that connection doesn't stop. It continues for all of eternity. John chapter 14, that where I am, there you may be also. But now that we are connected to God through Christ, we can now connect with the people of God. We can connect with the people of God. How do we do this? Quickly, by letting people in our yard. By letting people in our yard. Think of it this way. When Christ connected you to the Father, he tore down the fence of sin that was dividing you. And that fence was massive, and he broke it down. And now we have access to the Father, not because of our good works, but because of Christ's grace. And now that we have that that fence of sin tore down, we have access, we have relationship. Now, guess what? That fence can be torn down between us and other people, and we can invite people into our yard. We can have people into our yard to experience life together. Unfortunately, many Christians, even after the fence of sin is tore down between them and God, continue to build fences between them and others in the church. My question is this. If Christ could tear down the fence of sin between you and him, then he can tear down the fence between you and others. As we said last week, if we are going to truly experience loving our church, that, uh, then that means intentionally loving our church. This is not loving our building. It's not loving our programs. If we intentionally love our church, that means loving each other. But let's be honest, this is difficult, isn't it? I mean, isn't it a scary thought to tear down your fences and let others in? Maybe you put up a fence out of fear. Maybe you put up a fence out of fear of rejection, fear of embarrassment, or shame. However, when we are open and real, letting people in our yard and past the fence, we will see God use those relationships for his glory. 
when you are real and open and you just let people in? Because listen, you can be honest and say, man, I'm one with God, not because of me, but I'm messed up. I've made all kinds of mistakes, but God has forgiven me by his grace. And, and I just want to let you know, I want you to be a part of my life. We let people in. When we are real and honest, we will see God use those relationships for his glory. So what does it look like to let people in our yard? What does it look like to have the kind of relationship? Go all the way back to Hebrews, where we started, chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 24. It says, And let us consider one another. Huh. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. The word consider means to contemplate or to strategize. To contemplate or to strategize. Basically, are you a let, are you, as you are letting down fences and reaching out to connect with those in the church, be thinking about how you can stimulate or provoke them to love and good works. This means maybe inviting someone to help with the service project you are doing. Maybe it's inviting someone over for dinner and just encouraging them when you know they're going through a rough time. The key here is that rather than waiting for the church to create an event or program to do it, be strategizing how God might use you to be the catalyst of change in your area of influence. What relationships can you allow into your life to stoke the flames? And we said this last week, this means we're going to be best friends with everybody. That we're going to have everybody over our house all the time? No, that is extremely tiring. I was so encouraged. Someone came to me last week and said they wanted to talk to me this week about something. And they said, hey, are you available, you know, Wednesday morning? And I said, yep, we can do Wednesday morning. And they said, you know what? Let me go ask my wife real quick and make sure that's okay. <laughs> Amen. I love when people apply the teaching of Scripture. I'll have a conversation with the wife. Some of you don't even know the, the true fullness behind this. And that's so sad. That's so sad. Some of you get it. Some of you get it. Heath's laughing. Renee's laughing. Okay. A little bit of this here. A little bit of that. Okay. Um, man, we need to understand when we let the fences down, what is there when we let fences down and we let people into our yard? Risk. Speaking as a guy who has only one side of his yard fenced. And I live on the corner of 21 and Black's Corners, and it is so much easier for people to cut through my yard than to go around. And I was talking to someone, and they said, just put up barbed wire. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Come on now. That's not church-like. It's, 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 and, it, and listen, just because we let some people in our yard doesn't mean we let everyone in our yard. There are some people you don't want in your yard. I'm not talking about because of where they come from or their background. I'm talking about what they believe. I'm talking about what they would influence you to do. It's okay to some people, I love you at a distance. And some people, I let you in. Just because somebody wants to be an influence in your life doesn't mean you should let them. That's a silly way to think. Anybody can have a blog nowadays, right? Isn't that scary? No credentials, no experience, no training, no education, but I'm going to write an entire article on this subject I have no information on except for what I Googled 20 minutes ago, and everyone will believe it. Pass it around Twitter or Facebook, and all of a sudden I become a, a YouTube star. I have no actual background in this. I've never studied this, but I have my opinion. And nowadays, anybody, I almost said any Yahoo, not intended there. That was just because anyone can sit at a computer and just, oh, man, this is my thoughts. <gasps> Did you read that article by so-and-so? Who's so-and-so? I don't know, but he wrote a good article on this. It's just crazy. 
We let so many influences into our lives, and then we wonder why we're so confused. It's great that that stuff's available at a finger's reach and click, but it's bad too sometimes. Be discerning. Man, just because somebody's on, online or got a big church or on TV does not mean you give them influence in your life. But when you do decide to let someone in and there's an influence there and you're, you're discipling them and they're discipling you and you're growing in Christ, it's a beautiful thing, but there is risk. But I encourage you, take the risk. We must praise the Lord this morning because he removed the division of sin between a holy God and you and I. We didn't deserve it. In fact, we deserved eternal damnation. But Christ in his grace and love exchanged our standing for his. I want to encourage you to come this morning and to bend a knee and to praise him for his saving grace as we go to invitation in just a moment. But also I want to let you know that if you are here and you are a professional fence builder, I mean, there's fence builders and then there's you. You got like a corner on the market. You can build a fence in 20 minutes and it's done. Maybe you want to come and, and pray for the Lord to remove those fences and help you to build some healthy Christian relationships. Can I also tell you this? Baby steps are okay. Baby steps are okay and what you should expect. We're not going to trust overnight if you have issues with trusting. Also, realize that you don't have to invite everyone into your most personal part of your life, as we were just saying. But maybe God is leading you to open up to a select few who would stimulate you to grow as a follower of Christ. In just a moment, we're going to go to invitation. We're going to bow in prayer, and we're going, to, we're going to invite you to come and pray up front here. And this morning, we're starting something brand new that I'm so excited about. For a couple of years now, I've been praying about something like this, and it's finally come to be, and I'm so, honestly, I'm just pumped up about it. When we go to invitation in just a moment, you're welcome to come and pray and bend a knee. But up in the very front row here, surprisingly, where no one sits, which is good because we need this front row today. But today, moving forward, our goal is every single Sunday morning that there will be men and women that we've already kind of talked to. They're already ready to go. There are going to be a couple of men and women up front in this very front row that will be available to you. And if you want to pray with someone, if you're a man, go to one of the men. If you're a woman, go to one of the women and just say, would you pray with me about this? Maybe it's nothing to do with this morning's message. Maybe it's just something you're going through and you just want prayer on that. Maybe it's because you don't know Christ and you want to get to know Christ and you want to know what it means to receive Christ as Savior. Maybe you've got some fences up and you're like, I just don't even know where to start. And maybe you want to just pray with somebody that would just pray with you and encourage you that you start today and you start right where you are. This is not about giving advice. No one up here is going to try to tell you what to do. They just want to pray with you and direct you to Christ. And so in a few moments when you stand, there's going to be some men and women in the front row here. And they're not going to come to you. If you want to pray with somebody, you come to them. And I'm so excited to have that opportunity available to the church. And so whatever you're feeling led to do, if you want to pray and say, God, thank you so much for your saving grace that you tore down the division between you and I, and now we have access to the Father. We have eternal access in prayer and encouragement and love and support from the Father like never before. We have eternal peace. We have eternal life with the Father because of Christ's work on the cross. You connected us to the Father. Or maybe you want to come and say, I need to be connected more to the body of Christ. I need to be connected to individuals and have healthy Christian relationships. Lord, would you give me wisdom in that? Maybe you want to come and pray with someone. Maybe you want to come and pray by yourself. That is totally fine. Whatever. Maybe come and pray as a couple, as a family. Whatever it is that God is doing, would you just respond to him as we go to prayer? Would you bow your heads with me right there where you are? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for your grace. 
in our lives. And Lord, we're just asking you to do what only you can do, that you would work, lead, guide, and direct in all these situations. Lord, that you would be the one that we promote this morning, that you would be the one that is elevated. Lord, we're here for you. And I pray that we would understand that your wrath deserved a sacrifice and you gave yourself willingly. May we praise you for that this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand what it means to be connected to the Father, that it wasn't by our works, but by your grace. May we praise you for it. Lord, maybe there's somebody here that needs to be connected to the church and they've got some fences they want to tear down. Maybe they would come and pray and say, God, would you give me wisdom in that and the strength to take the risk? Lord, if there's somebody here that's just struggling with trust, they've been burned before, I pray that they would know that you see them, you have compassion for them, there's empathy for them. And Lord, we just want to pray with them and, and just encourage them that they can trust again. Father, we thank you for all this and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Would you just respond to him this morning, whatever the Lord is doing, whether you want to sing, you want to come and pray, or want to pray with someone, there's those available to pray with you. Would you respond this morning as we worship and as we celebrate all that Christ has done for us?